This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. Joining us live from London is Dimi Reader. Uh, Dimi is an Israeli journalist and blogger whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Foreign Policy, and Haaretz, among other venues. He is co-founder of 972mag.com, a visiting fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations as well. More than a pleasure to have him on the program. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. Good afternoon, Dimi, and uh, welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, we have seen uh, in the analysis that Netanyahu has strengthened since the election in Israel his mandate by vowing to defy the international consensus on a two-state solution. Uh, first of all, yeah. in Israel, the polls that I have seen show that most of the people want favor and feel it's even inevitable a two-state solution. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that we, uh, we kind of need to pick it apart. They feel it's inevitable. They generally support the idea, but once you get to the uh, specifics of what that would require, uh, they usually answer no. You know, kind of they would say, I support the state solution. But then when asked, do you support dividing Jerusalem into, into two capitals, they would say no. Do you support dismantling settlements? They would also say no. So it's, uh, it's just kind of we... We like, to, we like to feel that we support the solution, but we actually don't. Then you know, and I lived in uh, Israel briefly in 96, and one of the problems that yeah. I have seen, and I say that because it's different than somebody who just has an opinion has never been there or lived there. However, I'm not an Israeli. I don't live there. No offense to your country. I don't know why anyone would want to live there. And um, <laughs> I, But but when I, when, when I look at what's happening there, there are patterns of behavior. More, more Jewish uh, homes built in the settlements, more bombing and retaliation yep. and violence from Hamas. So I guess, Jimmy, do, do they really want peace there? Or do they just really want to keep fighting over, you know, whose land it is and who has more land and, and power um, rather than peace? Because, you know, I think the only way for there to be peace is to have a two-state solution. Well, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would say... I would answer something like this. I would say that uh, most people do want peace, uh, Israelis included. I think Israelis think they have a choice between uh, the status quo, which isn't peace but isn't war either, at least not for them, uh, and uh, on the other hand, the kind of peace process we had in the 90s, which was deeply, deeply flawed, especially in that it didn't bring up uh, all the Palestinian factions on board and actually create a situation in which many Palestinian organizations had more to gain from wrecking the peace process than from getting on board with it. So this is the Israeli experience of the peace process. So it's kind of, I mean, to me, growing, I was also kind of like, I was growing up in Israel in the 90s, and we, um, my memories are of this bizarre reality where on the one hand we hear constantly about the peace process, on the other hand we see buses exploding. And it's just, the word peace has become a dirty word in Israeli politics. Not so much the idea of peace, but the word peace. Um, secondly, I would also, I, I'm not sure if it's the only solution, uh, the two states. I mean, it's uh, its uh, long been a consensus solution. But, you know, if, it's, uh, if it fades away um, out of the realm of possibility, it doesn't mean we should give up. We should 
look for alternatives. Uh, the problem with Netanyahu is that he's not offering an alternative. He just wants to maintain the status quo as it is. Neither peace nor war, uh, not a two-state solution, not a one-state solution, just control. Just control over the territory. I, I want to know, how do you feel that the majority of people did not vote for this man and that he seems to want to swing more to the right and more to the religious right, yet Israel year after year becomes less religion, religious and, and that's uh, you know an admission of the people themselves? Yeah. I mean, Israel um, well, Israel actually becoming uh, less less I saw the status was becoming more religious. We have now only about 47% of people define themselves as secular. And even though, you know, we have uh, our our ideology, um, Zionism, the premise in which we're there, is still relies very much on Jewish tradition, even if we say we're secular people who believe that we had a certain religious history in this country. That's still kind of a quasi-religious view. Um, Netanyahu, most people didn't vote for Netanyahu specifically, but most people did vote for the kind of view he represents. Most people voted for the religious nationalist camp, one of its components. Uh, Netanyahu is the default leader of that camp, but uh, people, you know, people who voted for Naftali Bennett uh, or for Victor Lieberman uh, put the ballot in the box knowing that Netanyahu will be, will be prime minister. So, sadly, he does enjoy pretty broad popular support, and I think he made this very clear on, on Tuesday. But here is the problem. This is a man who entered into peace negotiations with a two-state solution. This is a man who yeah. his 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 attitudes, and it would seem not necessarily the majority of Israelis, um, certainly I would imagine almost none of the Palestinians. Um, I, I got to tell yeah. you, if I were Palestinian, I would be really pissed off. Um, you know, they well, can't they yeah. can't they can't they can't vote and people go, oh, well, they're they're not part of Israel. Well, yeah, they are. If they want to build something, they have to get the permits from Israel. If they want to have water, if they want to have school, I mean, you know, anything is under Israeli control. They are part of the Israeli state. Um, you know, they can't vote. Yeah. Uh, promises that are made, you know, have been broken. And I and I think that even though Netanyahu, you know, loves being, you know, in his position and is excited about his victory. Um, and I'll get your take on this right after the break. One, regardless of his opinion, the deal with Iran really isn't going to change based on his opinion, no matter how many congressional uh, bodies he speaks to worldwide. Two, the EU and the United States don't agree with him with the two-state solution. And three, we write a pretty hefty check to Israel. We'll be back after this one. We are back with Dimi Reader, Israeli journalist and blogger. Work appeared in New York Times, Foreign Policy, and Haaretz, among other venues. Co-founder of 972mag.com, a visiting fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Follow him on Twitter at Dimi Reader, D-I-M-I-R-I-E-D-E-R. Also follow... Uh, AmericaAlJazeera.com at A-J-A-M and the website for America Al Jazeera is America.AlJazeera.com Also check out 972Mag.com Dimi, uh, thank you for holding and welcome back. So being that the United States and the European Union, both of which give money and the United States gives a lot of money to Israel, uh, want this two-state solution and also want this deal with Iran. Um, Isn't this deal with Iran going to go through regardless of how loud Netanyahu uh, barks? And, you know, or is, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you know, people may say, hey, we voted for Netanyahu. But the problem is they voted for a guy who who from the outside appears not to be able to work with key allies that can help to bring about peace. 
that help economically yeah. the state of Israel very much and that are very involved in and will make this deal with Iran happen. Absolutely, and I think that one of the reasons Netanyahu called these early elections is that his term uh, began with Iran and the U.S. announcing the talks and effectively announcing that they don't particularly care what Netanyahu has to say about it. So I think that he he knew that uh, when the talks are concluded successfully, that will diminish his image at home and abroad even further. So he went uh, during the elections partly to preempt this effect. Um, I think that in terms of his foreign policy, it will be very interesting to see how he digs himself out. We already saw, by the way, just now in the interview with Andrea Mitchell, he uh, very kind of like calmly said, oh, I do support the two-state solution. Um, and this what changed is not my support for the two-state solution. It's the reality that ISIS, Iran, Hamas, this, that, and the other make, makes it irrelevant right now. But in the long term, I absolutely support the two-state solution. And it's nice to see that the American media right now and the White House are simply not buying it. The White House is saying we're still reviewing our options. Uh, the Huffington Post uh, has a very mocking headline up, and I see that on Twitter a lot of journalists are just saying, come on, you, you can't be serious. Um, with Europe, it, it's a bit more complicated because Netanyahu, uh, it's not so much that we, we, we don't just get money from Europe. Europe is our m- most important trade partner. So there are a lot of levels in which it could go wrong. So even if Netanyahu patches up, say, the relationship with the European leadership, there are a lot of people within the, the mechanism, the structure of the EU, who are quite unhappy and want to uh, press Israel and its commitments to the state solution. There are a lot of people in civil society in the private sector in the EU who are getting quite anxious about uh, the future of the occupation. We see various uh, investors uh, withdrawing funds. We see advisors coming out saying, uh, if you're investing in businesses, Israeli businesses in the occupied territory, you're doing that at your own risk, and so on. So it's all kind of like it's all coming apart in very interesting ways. And obviously, Netanyahu's comments are not helping. Uh, let's also talk about, um, you know, this uh, election that does look set to give Israel the most conservative government in its history. And I want to go back to something I kind of touched upon. This does not reflect the demographic of Israel, Israel though, right? I mean, the more conservative people or the Orthodox Jewish community is not growing at the same rate the more liberal uh, Jewish community is, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Although I kind of like, I wouldn't say it's necessarily, um, it's not just a kind of like a clash of political values. There are very deep um, political risks within Israeli society, especially between the old founding secular uh, European elite of the state and uh, people coming from Arab countries, so-called Mizrahi Jews, who were very, very badly discriminated by the, uh, basically by the labor uh, party of the time, and this is a resentment that still that still uh, burns. Um, so a lot of the um, a lot of the vote for Likud is also a vote against the old elite, and it's kind of like it's not even necessarily directly connected to the Palestinian issue. Uh, obviously, though, it's um, um, much of the um, much of the Palestinian political violence of the 90s hit precisely the poorest uh, Israelis, the, the people who, you know, who would use public transport, go in outdoor markets and so on. So it also eroded popular support for leftist policies. Um, and the other demographic is changing. Uh, it's a more religious, more conservative, more nationalist country. Uh, the old secular elites have much more mobility. They can move abroad. Uh, they, um, they, 
they can kind of like leave all this behind them, and the people saying are the ones who are uh, who are making the decisions. And yeah, this is what this is what happens when the elites run off. You know, on election day, many people uh, feel, and you wrote that he resorted to race baiting, warning voters that quote Arabs were heading to the polls in huge numbers. That was a lie. Um, yep. I mean, they that make up so less. Than, they make um, up. They make up far less than twenty percent of the Israeli population, and as we know, those in the Palestinian territory can't even vote. He and um, yeah. he, he, you know, I mean, and was this race baiting on? I mean, do you want to know? I, I think it's awful, but to me, my, you know, if if Hamas bombs the crap out of him next week, I won't be surprised. I mean, him saying there'd be no two-state solution. If you give people who feel hopeless less hope, well, what are they going to do? Well, they're gonna they're gonna feel all funny, if they yeah. if they if they feel like oh my god there's going to be even less room for us to live in the settlements there's going to be more building there there's absolutely no way why this guy is leader you know for years that we're going to have a two state solution and then um you know with the race baiting I I I feel that was a really stupid thing uh, for him to do because you already have the many of the Palestinian people hating him and angry, even those who don't support Hamas, who might be more inclined to say, you know what, I'm on your team now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think that the race baiting was, um, it actually played uh, in two very different ways um, to the American crowd, to the Jewish crowd, and to the Palestinian crowd. Uh, those Palestinians that could vote, uh, from what I hear, actually self-provoked to go out and vote. Precisely to show Netanyahu that they will do whatever they like and they will realize their democratic rights. Uh, the, uh, some Israeli Jews, although I don't think that many, uh, were, uh, are alarmed enough by these warnings to go out and vote for Netanyahu. But I'm most curious about how this is playing in the United States. You know, Netanyahu always comes to the United States pretending he's Winston Churchill, but I imagine that this week he sounded uh, to you guys more like uh, Governor George Wallace. And uh, it's something that's going to clash very much uh, with the values of many. Um, in the American Jewish community, who overwhelmingly support the Democratic Party and so on. In terms of the Palestinian despair, I really don't think that it's um, it's going to matter that much. I don't think that anybody thought that uh, that much will improve. I don't think anybody in the Palestinian um, uh, occupied territories thinks that the two-state solution uh, was around the corner. I don't think they believe they they didn't believe Netanyahu when he said he supported it. And if anything, they must be relieved that he's honestly stating that it's not he's not going to do it. And there was an interesting article today in the New York Times by uh, Yusuf Munaya who said actually Netanyahu's win is very good for Palestine. Uh, it's much easier to uh, put pressure on the kind of Israel that this man is representing than on an Israel that's pretending to conduct negotiations while still building stones. And who's sure going to come? Well, I'm serious. If I were Palestinian, if I were Mahmoud Abbas, who's going to come to the table when you already saw the hand of the guy sitting on the other side? He has said, you know, Netanyahu has said, now is not the time for a two-state solution, which, which to Ooh. me derails any, um, you know, uh, any kind of momentum with regard to peace negotiations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Abbas will probably now work to um, to speed up his application to the International Criminal Court, to various international bodies that can help pressure Israel. I think Abbas pretty much gave up on the idea of direct negotiations with Netanyahu. He gave up long ago. I mean, kind of the Americans pressured him into going for the last one, but I think he knows exactly what Netanyahu is, and he he thinks that the uh, the only option they have left is going through the international institutions. Um, do you think that? 
you know, it's kind of hard, I think, for those of us in the United States with the way our government is set up to look at the way the government in Israel is set up. It's a bit confusing, you know, for people who uh, aren't uh, aren't used to it. Um, Netanyahu pretty much will have free reign, yes, or will there be pushback by yeah. those who are more center and certainly left who are not going to sign on to be a part of his government, so to speak? Yeah, we don't we don't have this um, we don't have as clear a separation between the executive and legislature as uh, as you do. Uh, the Knesset, the, the coalition makes up more than half of the Knesset, which means that the Knesset doesn't have a separate veto power or anything on the uh, on the executive. So yeah, I mean the opposition usually doesn't influence proceedings that much. It's going to have a very free reign. Let's talk about the international arena. Um, much of Israel's international standing, as you wrote, particularly with the European Union, who is Israel's largest trading partner, is contingent on its commitment to that peace process. That peace process, yeah. the European Union and the United States both uh, believe, results in the creation of a Palestinian state. Um, also, yeah. when you know, even though who he's picking is going to help him govern at home, this group of partners, if you will, you wrote, won't help him repair his country's image in the international arena, and I agree. What happens yeah. then? What happens then if Netanyahu's in charge of Israel? Israel is key, obviously, because the whole thing surrounding the Middle East and the peace you know, process is Israel and within Israel. You know, what what, mm-hmm. what happens? I mean, does, does Netanyahu risk losing the support or level of support from the United States and the European Union? And I'm not just talking financial support. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think primarily this is this is it. It's not the financial support that's going to go first. I think one of the things we've seen um, over the last few years of Netanyahu's uh, reign is an erosion of Israel's very, very special standing in the American political culture. Um, Israel is uh, certainly not the only American ally or not the only American client state, but did, did enjoy a very kind of like it was on this pedestal uh, for many Americans. And this is beginning to crack. You can now say things about Israel in Congress and in the mainstream media that you couldn't. And uh, the only person who can take credit for that is Netanyahu, who, was, uh, who did everything he could seemingly to make uh, Israel into a contentious partisan issue. Uh, in Europe, we'll see uh, more and more people who are mindful of the um, of the European political structure, which is very much dependent on, on rules and everybody respecting the rules and the official treatment. Um, saying to Israel, well, kind of like we have special trade agreements with you guys, we have special tax deals, we have special research and development cooperation. All that is very much premised on moving towards uh, a two-state solution. So if that's not happening, we need to review that. Uh, Or at least we need to condition further development of our relationship on tangible uh, progress. Uh, um, and it's the burden. Of, uh, the burden of proof is on you, Israel, to prove that you're doing something. So, which uh, which will be very interesting to see how Netanyahu deals with it, because we had um, we had something like that happen a couple of years ago when Europe introduced guidelines on scientific research and development cooperation, and Netanyahu had uh, said that this money can't go to settlements, and Netanyahu uh, kind of like shouted and screamed and his allies shouted and screamed and said this is absolutely outrageous, we won't be told what to do, and then they quietly signed the agreement. Uh, with reservations, with, you know, an asterisk and a footnote saying we don't agree with what we're signing, but we agree, but they backed off. So it will be interesting to see what happens next time kind of the European 
European policy clashes with Netanyahu's intransigence. Uh, you, you know, he was very, you know, vocal uh, about rejecting the Palestinian statehood. Um, I have always felt he felt that way and was lying uh, when he said anything other. And, yeah. You know, of course, I, I don't have, uh, you know, I'm not privy to his mind, but that was just my feeling, my gut. Um, do you think there will be growing calls in Europe for economic pressure on Israel to end its occupation of the Palestinian territories, A, and B, what type of economic pressure can and will uh, possibly Europe push and and put on Israel? Uh, I think there will be there will be calls. I think that the uh, relationship Israel enjoys right now with Europe is so privileged that it doesn't have to get the sanctions for Israel to start feeling the bite. And I think that because Europe is um, pretty cautious political entity, it probably won't slam Israel immediately with tough sanctions like it did, for instance, in Russia with Crimea. Um, but it will start saying, uh, you know, for instance, uh, hypothetically speaking, you know, this uh, extra trade agreement we talked about, uh, this agreement to sell the gas from its Mediterranean, we're putting it on the shelf for now. Uh, they might uh, change visa demands for Israelis. They might, uh, and probably uh, the, the thing that they have that's closest at their disposal is to start labeling settlement products um, as distinct from products made in Israel proper, which is something that Israel really, really doesn't want to happen. So we might now... Do, do, do you think that the now. international action that Palestinians um, are demanding will take place? Yeah, I think, I think, well, I think Palestinians will definitely... Uh, the International Criminal Court to, uh, to, to process their claims. The International Criminal Court is a very, very, very cumbersome and slow body. Uh, we've seen it at work uh, against much less formidable opponents than the Israeli government. Um, then it depends very much on what the Palestinians actually do. They can go to the uh, International Criminal Court and say the entire settlement project is a war crime and we demand you investigate this project and settlers and so on. This will be a, quite unprecedented, B, very difficult to do, and C, will just um, reaffirm to Israel that, uh, that it's kind of like that it's more political than, than justice. If, on the other hand, they go and launch complaints against specific Israeli military officials, accusing them of war crimes, and if we see the, what is to Israelis unthinkable, um, an IDF officer or general in the dock, uh, or, uh, you know, a wanted notice on an Israeli military official who, in Israeli eyes, can do no wrong, this will have some very interesting effects. I can't, it will be so unprecedented, I can't, I can't prophesize what it will cause, but it will be interesting to see. Yes, it will be, and we'll have you on the program again to talk about it, Dimi. Israeli journalist and blogger whose work appeared in the New York Times, Foreign Policy, and Haratz. Co-founder is 972mag.com. Check it out. Visiting fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Follow him on Twitter at Dimi Reader, D-I-M-I-R-I-E-D-E-R. We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chick intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.